0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. If you around this morning, we are in the middle of a series. And and we preach in series, not all the time, but a lot of the time, because we want to take people on journeys where we can dig a little deeper. And it's not every week just touching the surface. And I ask and I pray and I trust that you are digging into this amazing book and finding life for yourself. Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians. It's a nice start. I mean, it's subtle. It's kind of in slow. It's just a leader just warming people up. Now, he's already done that. Now, he's and I'm going to speak a little bit more. Who has bewitched you? I mean, that's just the intro. <laughs> Please don't hear an angry teacher or leader. Uh, think more, and, and some think of Paul, even around this letter, they think of like a little guy behind a desk in his safe suburban environment writing a letter just chastising the church. No, that's not what's going on here. Think more of Taken One, the movie, with Liam Neeson. Think more of a father fighting for the freedom of his daughter, his children, who are being pulled into slavery. Think of that guy. Then read Galatians and find the heart of the father fighting for freedom. Is that helpful? So it's, I watched that movie. I've never been so pumped in all my life. Afterwards, I gripped those chairs. Just, I was like, ah, I didn't even have kids at the time. I was like, ah, give me kids. The Lord knew he shouldn't give me a daughter. And um, so also Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw, can you hear me? Wonderful. Scripture foresaw that God would testify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Hello. Clearly no one was, relies on the law. It is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. It's in the Bible. It's cool. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. That's not the sound guy. We're talking about Jesus here, (laughs) Jamesy. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The law and the promise. Brothers and sisters, let me take a clear example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abram and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? I'm going to stop there. Take chance. No, we're in the journey of Galatians, and and like I said, you've got to read this with the lens of of Liam Neeson fighting for. The people that he was called to preach the gospel to the first time. And in some weird kind of way, as under shepherds, there is a father heart for those that have been pulled into, through your ministry, into the gospel. And there's this big fight for something called justification. And I want to keep putting the definition up before you because I want us to get it. And it is this. It's a big, big thing. God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin. It's God's act while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. I hope some of you are going to be able to recite that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an amazing, amazing preacher, in the 1980s uh, was preaching, and he said, 90% of the people who believe in Christ follow the teacher's religion, not Paul's. It's a big statement. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an incredible father in the church, and much of his theology is what we use and and allows us to take us further into understanding these incredible gospels but here's what i keep saying and i'm going to keep saying it and we sing it we dance it we do everything we are believers what we believe is important so many of the church are are prepared to go through life and just carry on and just make assumptions I realize in my own life, I get caught out at times. I've made an assumption around something. And God is gracious, and He's kind, and He takes us on journeys of understanding and growing. But He wants us to be growing. We actually spoke about our partnership course. We've got three C's, celebrate connect, together, connect together, and contribute together. And we want to add a fourth one, commit to grow together. Commit to grow together. And I'm telling you, the best way and the only way I know is the Word of God in and through us. But Paul speaks, and at the end of chapter 2, he presents this justification only in Jesus, and he presents it strongly. In Galatians 3, we realize Paul presents, and he starts out, he says, actually, everyone, including those in the church, have a tendency towards, to drift towards foolishness. We don't drift away from foolishness. We drift towards foolishness, like the Galatian people, and I think like myself and yourself at times. And the danger with going neutral gear with God or neutral gear with growing in God or neutral gear in my Christianity is I don't drift towards him. I tend to drift. Billy and Sarah, just seen you. Hello, buddy. Great to have you back. Amazing folk from the life of this church. Sorry, that's just me. It's called ADHD. It's a real thing. There's a bunny. There's no bunny. And um, since Adam, man has struggled with making foolish decisions. You know that? Adam and Eve. An apple? Really? I mean, really? Are they, the people kept running to idols? Really? God had revealed His goodness. He, He'd take them out of slavery. He'd walk in the journey, and they kept wanting to worship foreign idols in the desert. And even more recently, politicians of the 21st century, we're just going to carry on, act like I didn't say that. I love our politicians. But we have a tendency towards, to drift towards some foolishness. God's saying, I want to bring us back. Sorry, that was a naughty little one, eh? It's all good. But God, and, and what's happened, as we discussed last week, there's this incredible presentation of a poster boy. Paul says, I'm going to bring um, my mates. The one is Barnabas and the one is Timothy. Barnabas you'll get because he's kind of like us. He has our traditions. He has our story. On the other side, I've got Timothy. Now, Timothy, who was Timothy? I'm going to remind you, a full-on bacon-eating Greek, uncircumcised, pork-sandwich-loving, non-Jew lover of Jesus. Everything he shouldn't be, Tim, Titus was. Not Timothy, Titus. Titus was he loved his bacon sandwiches that would have offended the previously Jewish believers in Jesus Christ it would have challenged them. he ate the biggest bacon sandwiches you could find he went to bacon and brie all by himself often and the challenge with that is Paul presents him he says I'm bringing with because I want you to see the evidence of the grace of God the evidence of the power of the gospel when it is preached in its purity but actually he knows that there's a drift towards foolishness he knows they need something more so he needs another poster boy And he brings out one named Abraham, the poster boy of the Israelites. This is their poster boy. He presents them before them, And it's dangerous having poster boys. The reality is the world says actually we invest millions in it. Why? Because it works. But it's dangerous. I just need to put up a couple of pictures and you know why it's dangerous. Can I have the first one, please? The poster boy of recovery from cancer into and the, the hero of a sport rips the guts out of a sport when we make man too high. There's a couple of others, and Michael Fultz, um, he, he's there, he's the poster boy on Wheaties and, and that, and the reality, he goes and smokes marijuana and the whole thing's messed, he loses millions. It's a challenge of putting up poster boys. Tiger Woods and Jacques Cullis endorsing a hair product when his hair was all falling out. Um, it was a challenge. <laughs> I'm really feeling naughty this morning, you guys are really quiet, and I'm supposed to be preaching the word, so help me here, someone say stop it, and... Um, but, but I've I got to be honest. When I was a young man and I'd fallen in love with Jesus, I went and sat under three poster boys of Christianity who played for the Proteus cricket team named Hansi Cronier, John T. Rhodes, and Andrew Hudson. I listened to their testimonies, and everything in my heart goes, yes. And I remember that moment. It was at the Durban University. And then what happened? Hansi, the devil made me do it. Then what happened? John T. leaves his wife. And you know what the front page of the Durban newspaper said? Only one still standing, Andrew Hudson. Radical. Radical. But Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham, Paul knows that to these people, Abraham was the poster boy of the Jews. But they didn't fully get the story. So he brings the story out, and he's central to Judaism and widely regarded as the father of the Jewish nation. That's who he chooses. He says, that's who I'm going to put up in front of them. I'm going to use that story. He's their patriarch, and he's in the lineage of Jesus, and, and legends would have been told about him, legends about Abraham, his, and his, 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 his conquest that he had done for God, and his faith, and his stories. He's in the Hebrews 11 crew. He's there. He says he believed. It's an incredible, credible story, and these guys all had faith, Abraham, Enoch, but it was only Abraham who said, because he believed, it was reckoned to him, it was credit to him, as righteousness. It's credible. The Bible says reckon to him as righteousness. There's a couple of accountants in the room. When you reckon books and you credit them, it's like there's credit in the bank. The problem is when credit gets in the bank, there's a mistake, and the bank puts money in your accounts. You get the joy of having the numbers change, but the fear, it's going to be taken away. Don't you? Anyone had money put in your account? You're like, should I tell someone? <laughs> what would Jesus do? And the challenge is, this Bible says, actually, he has credited and reckoned him righteous. It cannot be withdrawn again because Jesus did it. It's done forever. And he gets this righteousness. But we've got to understand who really is this poster boy. Because if you're going to put it up, and, and, and like, like sometimes we can be in the church, we take things, assumptions. The Jewish people have taken a whole bunch of assumptions about who Abraham must have been. Let me tell you who he was. He was not particularly godly when He was justified. He was and had been a pagan moon worshiper of Ur. He wasn't a Jew because there weren't any Jews. They claimed him years later. He spoke and, and um, he wasn't circumcised when he was reckoned righteous. He was circumcised later because God asked it of, of him. Some of you are like, can God do that still? Does he, st- does he still do that? And um, he wasn't baptized. Can you be justified if you aren't baptized? Paul says in the New Testament, he points back to the Old Testament way before the law and says, look at Abraham, reckoned righteous, uncircumcised, unbaptized, previous moon worshiper, would have had a whole bunch of cultural differences. And the Jewish people go, wow, that's a good argument, a a really, really good argument. And here's the thing. He didn't do any of the Mosaic law because it didn't exist yet. So he's got a good one in his bag. And so he can come confidently. He can come strong because he's fighting. I love that movie. Please don't go watch it if you're sensitive to a bit of violence. About, he kills about 47 men on his own, Liam Neeson. So I'm not advocating you watch it if you're sensitive. But every one of them for me, there was a righteous, ah, because he's going for his kids. Now, as Paul comes strongly in this book, please don't misread his heart as some angry, grumpy leader who someone else is cutting into his flock. He is a father fighting for the freedom of his kids, God's kids. I think that's really helpful for us. And what did he have to say? He says, actually, this guy, he probably loved bacon. And the Jews would have gone, whoa. He said, he probably didn't even know any good Jewish songs. He's a moon worshiper. I I know a good Jewish song. Baruch HaTah B'Shem Adonai. Alleluia. Alleluia. See, there was a girl in a Messianic Jewish church that I thought was fancy. And so I used to visit, and I learned that song. But but Abraham had done nothing, and he did nothing right in the eyes of the Jewish people. This is not going hard planned. And um, stay with me. Abraham is commended commended by God for doing one thing sounds a bit simple just one thing 613 laws a whole bunch of traditions just one thing he believed God then he believed God again then he believed God again and he patiently waited and he believed God again and he believed God again now some would say that's naive some would say and I want to say that's the gospel A gospel where we believe a promise. It says in verse 7, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now here's the amazing thing. Basically, what it's saying is the only true God of those who have been declared righteous in the same manner as Abraham, which is by faith. See, he didn't have any of the rules. He didn't know even how to follow them. He couldn't sing any good Jewish numbers. He just had faith. I want to jump a little bit ahead because next week we're going to talk why the law. But the truth is, the Bible says, and it says at the end of this verse, in verse, it says actually, actually there was a curse. It says, in the curse, Jesus became the curse. By leaving the presence of God on the cross, he had to leave the presence of God. He was cursed to be removed from the presence of God, to be set outside of the camp, to be cut off from his benefits. On the cross, Jesus was cursed. It means he took my curse. He took it. I've got to believe that. I've got to believe that when I'm feeling good and I'm not. I've got to believe it when I'm finding it easy to walk in the ways of God and when I'm not. I've got to believe it when I'm tempted and when I'm not. See, sometimes we tend to slip into a little bit of self-righteousness and a self-justification. And a man challenged once, he, at a men's camp, he said an amazing statement. He said, some of you haven't fallen into sin because you've never had the opportunity. He said, my only opportunity only came when I made millions. All of a sudden, I had opportunities for days and I failed. Now, the reality is, it's not how I'm feeling and how I respond to the pressure. It's how I believe and how much I place everything. Paul says, everything. Abraham, everything. And I want to jump ahead to what I want to mess around today. Brothers and sisters, verse 15, please. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. He's saying, let's just take something that you get. He's a teacher. He's trying to help people. He says, you get covenants, you get contracts. It's a legal document and there would be various terms and conditions and there would generally be an oath between one or both of them. But once that oath is is made and once that document is signed, it cannot be changed. Here's the picture that helps me the most. A covenant in the light of a family trust. See, maybe you haven't had the privilege, I haven't had the privilege of there being a family trust that a previous father grandfather great-grandfather established but it's an amazing amazing thing friend a friend of mine has managing and, and being part of managing his father's trust you know the amazing thing about a trust a man and a woman they're in their marriage when their kids are young and their grandkids aren't even born yet they form a trust and they put everything in there before those grandkids are even born Before their kids have walked into anything, they put everything in their trust and they put a whole bunch of stuff. They say, actually, we want this to be poured out and we want this to be a blessing to the generations to come. Here's the catch. They haven't even done anything yet. And the minute that is signed, it's established. It's in place. And no one can come once they have passed away and change it. See, Rory's dad in his trust said, I want my grandson Thomas to go to this school, and I want my trust to pay for it, signed. No one can go change that. No one can change that. And there are these benefits, and Paul is saying, guys, it's, it's like this deal. There's a father in heaven put a package in place, and he says the scriptures foreknew it, so they released and revealed it in Abraham so that we could point back and the Jewish people would be able to point back to this father of the Jewish race. The Jewish religion, the, the, the Hebrew people, they were, they'd be able to point back to Abraham. Because in the beginning, right at the beginning, God had a plan. It was wrapped up in his heart. And right then, before Jesus came, he wrote a trust and said, here's the deal. I'm going to give my son my everything. It's going to break my heart. He's going to be cursed, even though he is perfect. And then he wrote your name. And he wrote my name. He said, "I'm going to bless them with righteousness." That's the gospel. It doesn't get much more complicated than that. It carries on in verse sixteen. It says the promises were spoken to Abraham, and to his seed. Scripture does not say to his and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is. Christ. See, Paul's doing his best lawyer work here. He's dug into the scriptures and he said, actually, the word seed there can be used in the plural, but in the context it was used when God spoke to Abraham, it was used in the singular. What does that mean for us? Some mark, you're getting very technical, it's a bit of higher grade. No, it's not that. He's saying, actually, the blessing will flow from Abraham to his seed, Jesus. See, Abraham. Jesus was in Abraham's lineage. And the, the, the target of God's grace, glory, and goodness was Jesus. And that's why Jesus plus nothing matters. Because sometimes we think we were the target. Even the Jewish race, they were caught up and in, They interpreted that scripture as the seeds. Everybody part of the race. They got pulled into the story because they were part of Abraham's seeds. They weren't. Paul's saying, actually, let me bring you back to what God said. Because it's in their Bible too, the Torah. Actually, what God said is to the seed, Jesus. It's still the defining line and the, the fault line between Christianity and Judaism. And there was a target of his covenantal promise. It was Jesus. And we are the beneficiaries of our older brother. Two more verses and then we're done. He says, what I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. He's saying this. Uh, Thomas Dyer, whose whose grandfather wrote a will and said he will go to a certain school, whether he performs or not, whether he becomes a big boy that he currently stands at now, 12 years old, 92 kgs and 6 foot 2, or he was like me, 4 foot 3, at 12 years old, about 27 kgs and no hope of ever playing provincial rugby at that stage. You so didn't See, those conditions, what happens after doesn't matter. The will is written. The covenant is made. I, I want that picture to settle on you. We are, and I'm going to tell you why now, and this is the big one. For if the inheritance depends on the law. He uses the language, inheritance. Then it no longer depends on the promise, but God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So if it depends on the law and our works, when I say the law, we're going to explain it next week, but when I say the law, I'm talking about our ability to pull something off. To me, the definition of religion versus a relationship and received grace See, here's the thing about the gospel, and here's an image to help you. I taught my little boys to swim at times. I tried. We got a little help along the way. But, but I would jump in the pool with them, and everything would go like this. And even when I held them close, their little legs would still kick. Why? Because even though they knew they couldn't hold themselves up at all, they still tried. Still tried. Still tried. Here's the thing, your eternity, you can do absolutely nothing about except for one thing, believe in Jesus. But here's what you and I do, like little kids in a pool where we cannot keep ourselves afloat, and ultimately outside of us being lifted up, we will drown. We still kick, we still try. And he's saying, if you're actually adding the law to this story of Jesus plus nothing, you like that little child who thinks they can try to keep themselves up. And the big issue here is that word promise. He says, for the inheritance depends on the Lord, then it no longer depends on the promise. See, there were promises to Abram that he would become a great nation and a great name. This was while he was still in his state, uncircumcised, unbaptized, not really singing a whole bunch of good songs. He was still there. He said he would be a blessing and they would bless him and God would curse those who cursed him. That eventually all nations will be blessed because of and through Abraham. Those are some pretty massive promises. And what did he do? He believed and he believed. No matter how slow the promises came, no matter how difficult the obstacles, and they were massive, we don't have time to go there. And no, no matter how exposed he felt in the journey. Sometimes the obstacles, the distance, the time, they're tough as we walk out this journey. And we want to kick into that, making a plan. See, he was commended as one of those who, through faith and patience, inherited what God had promised. I want to tell us that part of our challenge in 2017 is we live in an age of broken promises. And I'm going to use one or two current examples just to help us. Donald Trump said this in his campaign he would prosecute Hillary and put her behind bars, get rid of lobbyists, deport 11 million people, and ban all Muslims from entering the US. He got elected, and it wasn't three days later he said, I'm actually not doing that. She's a nice lady. I'm just giving Brexit and the promise of Brexit. They put slogans over buses saying, actually, all your money, 350 million euro a week is going overseas. And the very next day announced, actually, that wasn't fact. I'm just telling you, we live in a world where, no, that doesn't make you look fat. I loved your book, but the others on the jury outvoted me. Um, Wow, what an amazing looking baby. I'm making light of a big issue. Here's the issue. We live in an age of broken promises. Fathers, 50% of them are not there. They're just not there. Wives, spouses, business partners, in tough economic times, poof. Leaders have let us down. And God says, I want one thing of you. Like Abraham did, he just believed my promise. And then he believed it again. And even when the time was delayed, he believed it again. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is fighting for. He's saying, don't complicate. Jesus plus nothing. The promise is in the seed of Abraham. It's Jesus. The promise is given by the promise keeper named the Father. The promise comes with power. The promise brings a life where there is death. The promise means when friends of ours are sitting in hospitals because they've got brain tumors that are malignant and they're 38 years old, the promise means I hold on even when it doesn't make sense to me. The promise means when actually my wife who is struggling with her back, rather right, so gets up and prays for healing. The promise means we believe anyway. The promise means actually when you're struggling for pregnant, you pray for as many people as you can who are struggling for pregnant because the promise isn't in you, it's in Jesus. The promise is always in Jesus. And the problem is we let our broken world, with broken promises, come in and we supersede and we put it on top of God and say, how can God keep His promise? He's saying, all I've ever done is keep my promises. And all people have ever done is foolishly walked away. And Galatians writes into our heart, our heart that is full of broken promises and says, Will you believe the Father and His perfect work in Jesus? And that alone is enough. We've worked this angle for a while now, and we're going to move on to understanding a few things. But this has to grip us, guys. We can water it down. We can dumb it down. But if this doesn't grip us, I'm telling you, we will... Walk our rest of our lives in white-knuckled Christianity just trying to hold on. Just holding on. And here's the thing. You can't. Many have tried. Allow the goodness of the promise from the promise keeper to blow open your thinking, your heart to him. Can I pray for us this morning? Lord, this didn't really go the way I'd planned, and yet... I know that you are here. And I pray this morning, God. I pray for those who've been hurt by broken promises from fathers, so they struggle to see it father. I pray God settle it this morning. Some broken promises or spouses said they'll stay with you for thick and thin, for good and bad. And at the first sign of bad they were gone. I pray God come in and heal us up. But I know when I look at Abraham and his imperfect life and yet your goodness that came over that life. And that years and years later, we still speak about him, but we don't just speak about him. We speak about his kids and his grandkids as fathers of our faith, even when they didn't deserve it, God. I thank you, God, that wrapped up in this promise wrapped up in the trust of the gospel is the generous, radical love of God that cannot be bought or sold with the currency of man, but is just given by the goodness of the Father. I pray, God, explode our hearts with the understanding and the knowledge and the intimacy that flows because of one thing like Abraham we just choose to believe, whether it's happening in the timing We believe. Whether it comes how we thought it would come, we believe. And we trust the Father. I pray, God, put that deep inside of us. Explode our hearts. Explode our understanding and revelation of you. And allow the truth of this amazing book, Galatians, Jesus plus nothing, to strip off our efforts. See, the Bible's not against our efforts. It's against our earning. I cannot earn what you gave on that cross, Jesus. And I thank you for that. We give you glory, King.